0: Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds upon those words be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You're our rock, our crucified, risen, reigning, and coming again Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A big transition in Paul's letter to the Ephesians today. So these first three chapters has been some dynamite deep stuff. Paul's been writing about uh, the deep Uh, wonderful, lavish riches of grace in Christ. He's been uh, showing us how we get saved by grace through faith. Uh, He's been going uh, through a couple of amazing, deep uh, prayers. We did one of them last week where he talked about uh, one of our favorite phrases in prayer life, right? Praying for all kinds of believers that we would get to know how, in a greater fashion, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ for us. So some wonderful, deep things with God and our faith and our receiving it um, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, Paul transitions in his letter. He switches over now to, okay, here's how we live this out. We we need that practical stuff, right? We want want the how do I do this kind of stuff. Well, he's going to give us three or four chapters of that now. How do I live out this amazing thing that God has done for me in Jesus on the cross and so forth? Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter to these wonderful believers in Ephesus, right? Keep the city and the culture in mind, okay? Um, This is where this huge outdoor stadium is at and where the, the city dwellers, many of them were screaming and shouting for two hours straight, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because they felt like their idol was being threatened by the gospel. And of course it was, right? Lots and lots of people were throwing away their idols of Artemis, tearing them down off of their their homes and destroying them, and they were giving their lives to Christ. And so this great big upswelling of, uh, of evil rose up and tried to stamp out the gospel. Well, Paul moves on to other places, other ministries. He's writing back to the people in Ephesus. So keep in mind uh, what, what environment they're living in. Okay, Th- We think things are getting tougher, don't we? Well, they are, but but hey, has the word of God, has God followers, have they never had difficulties, never had persecution throughout uh, the time of human history? Seriously, people, this is not a new thing. So we can learn a lot by uh, their experience and their example for us in Scripture. So as Paul begins to write here uh, in chapter 4, verse 1 for us, in the middle of his letter, here's what he says in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore a what? a prisoner for the Lord. So as Paul writes this letter, he's literally in prison in, in Rome, probably. He was in prison two or three different times, probably in Rome at this occasion. And so what's, what's Paul doing in, in prison? He's, he's cowering in the corner. He's, he's wishing that he were somewhere else. He's crying out to God to be set free. I'm sure he's praying. That's part of his prayers. But he was in, uh, incarcerated in Rome for years. During that time, his guards were getting saved, right and left. People were allowed to come to him. He was doing ministry, preaching, teaching folks who came to him in Rome and they'd go back out and preach and teach what Paul shared with them. And he's writing correspondence to Christians in the churches that he started all over Asia. That's why he's writing. That's why we have a copy. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this letter back to the Christians in Ephesus and we have a copy of it. Everybody say glory to God amazing stuff. So here's what he writes, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's basically the next the subject of the next three or four chapters. How do you walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ? Look, because you're carrying his name. We don't often think of that, right? Because we don't physically see it. You are an ambassador for Christ in everyday life. I want, you to say, I want you to say, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. You carry his name. So Paul says here, you know what? You're carrying the name of Jesus Christ in daily life. Let's do that in a manner worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the Savior whose name you carry. Now, does that mean we're going to do this in perfection? Does it mean we're never going to biff it? We're never going to sin. We're never going to fail. It's not what he's talking about. But we need to become more and more people who walk in a manner worthy so that we can have a righteous impact upon the community and the, the world around us. Does the world around us need to taste of the salt of Jesus Christ and see the light of Jesus Christ in a dark world? Yep, we're the ones. We're going to bring it. We are bringing it, right? This is our purpose in life right now, right here. God brought us for such a time as this. So he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Um just repeat after me, that's hard work. work. But you know what's really cool is when you follow Jesus and you get to know him personally, this is who Christ is. He's humble, he's gentle, he's patient, he bears with uh, the goof-ups and the stupidity and the ignorance and the stumbling of the disciples. So the better you get to know Jesus, the more you love Jesus, and the more you get to know who he is and what his, uh, his ministry was like, you're going to find that happening more and more in your own life. But this is what we need. Do we need more superstars on TV? I, mean, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not taking shots. I don't mean that, to do that. But some, some folks on TV are impressed with their $2,000 suits and their $50,000 cars and whatever else. And I'm going, that is so not the heart of Christ Jesus. Here's the heart of Christ Jesus. So Paul says, walk in a manner worthy Do your best to to be prosperous and have a big bank account and showy and all these kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with money in itself. But what does Paul say our focus is? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And here's what that looks like, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And here's how that works itself out in congregational life, especially bearing with one another in love. Now we have opportunities. Whoever whoever is in your home, husband, wife, brother, sister, parent, child, friends, people you're letting live with you because they're in a tough spot, whatever your house, that's where it begins. Every morning you wake up, whoever's there, you've got opportunities to bear with somebody in love. They squeeze the the toothpaste tube in a different spot, whatever. Uh, There's lots of different, little tiny different ways and great big ways that we are challenged to bear with one another. That bear actually means to carry, okay? It's a little bit of a load. Sometimes it's a bigger load than other times. But he's talking especially about congregational life. So we bear with one another. Um, you do something in a way that I wouldn't do it. Kinda bugs me. Get over it, Joe. Love that person, bear with how they do that little task. Okay, that's a, just a simple example but this is one of the things that this congregation in general does a really super job of, loving each other, giving a lot of grace, uh, when we have a difference of opinion on stuff, uh, a lot of bearing with one another, stepping back, let's, let's do it your way. That's Christ-like. It's a powerful thing. So it says, here's what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You do it with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's agape, uh, the love that that cares about, wants you to to, uh, be blessed in Christ. Bearing with one another in love, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is something we pray about often and talk about often in our elders' meetings. Uh, the unity we have together in Christ. What a precious and powerful and wonderful thing that is in congregational life. How many know congregations that have been blown to pieces over fractions and factions, over all different kinds of, of problems? How many know of congregations that have blown up over difficulties? <laughs> okay? It's a real thing. The enemy gets there and then he blows places up. Or uh, whole factions walk away and start a new church and stuff. We know that kind of stuff goes on a lot. So we pray about this. We talk about it often. We ask God to help us protect it. Here's the thing: it's on the heart of Christ, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to maintain, not is not an afterthought, people. This is not an afterthought in congregational life. It is one of the primary things. We are eager to pursue and maintain in congregational life is unity in the spirit. So so if there's difficulty, if somebody's rubbing somebody else the wrong way, or if you hear somebody you know complaining about something, and maybe they complain about it once or twice or three times, okay? If that that means there's a thorn, there's a there's a thorn under the saddle, okay? There's there's disruption, there's there's okay. Let's, let's bring it out. Let's deal with it. Let's, let's bring healing to the abscess. To Use a whole bunch of stuff from Judy's great uh, sharing with us today. Let's bring healing to that. If you need help with it, give me a call. Be glad to sit down. We'll talk it out. We'll work through it. But let's, uh, let's bring healing to that quickly. Let's not let it fester. Let it grow and expand and impact more and more people in a painful, unhealthy way. Uh, This congregation in general does a wonderful job with that. Let's keep on doing that. Eager to maintain what? Unity in the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Because why? Why do we care about this? Verse 4. Because there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's going to be a whole whole bunch of emphasis here on, on a particular number. I almost said it for you. On one particular number. The number is one so it's unity and it's oneness okay so this oneness it shows itself in a lot of different ways there's one body of christ there's one spirit one holy spirit just as you were called to the one hope we all have one hope and that hope is to grow in christ and eventually be uh, in heaven forever with the lord one hope that belongs to your call verse five one lord how many saviors do we have how many lords do we have we have one lord jesus christ one faith you can have all different kinds of faith and people talk about it and say well yeah i'm i'm a spiritual person all different kinds of vocabulary with that right there's one faith in one lord jesus christ that leads to salvation in the one true god one 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 all the way through emphasizing one so verse five one lord one faith one baptism now we we here in congregation we said you know what we don't have a black-and-white, nailed-down thing in Scripture about when to do baptism. So we're going to let families, we're going to let parents decide that themselves, how they're going to follow that a command from the Lord to have baptism happen in the life of a, of a child and or an adult. We're going to let them make that decision. But you know what? There's How many baptisms are we going to do? We're going to do one. So here, I, when the parents went to baptize the infant, I gladly baptized the infant. If that infant grows up, and sometimes... I don't understand the workings of God all the time. Sometimes God compels that infant baptized person to want to be immersed later. I'm cool with that. I will do the immersion. I've done many of them. I don't call it a new baptism. A baptism has happened there. I call it a renewal of the covenant of baptism. I'll do the Duncan, but I don't say is baptized. I say renews the covenant of the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's how we do that. Because we want to be careful that there's one baptism, not a whole bunch of them. Now, I, in jail Bible study, I've, uh, there was a uh, person in there last week and, and baptized six times in their life. And uh, I didn't make a big deal out of it. It's not really their fault. It's the fault of five pastors who kept on baptizing after the first one had. They don't understand the Scripture. That's not the person's fault. But when you get one baptism, God is doing the stuff in the baptism. Okay? God didn't get it wrong the first time. He never gets it wrong the first time. Amen? Okay, so anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Let's not go there. If you've got questions about baptism, come see me. Glad to visit with you about it. But he says there's one baptism. We don't need a whole bunch of different ones. One gets the job done. We have one God and Father of all believers who is over all His sovereignty, through all is how He works through His Holy Spirit, and in all by faith. Every single person who believes in Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Father himself, comes to reside and abide within them. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. So one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now this is a little bit tricky for us in the English here, because when we see grace, we always think of the grace that saves. God's love, the grace that saves. This is not that Grace. This is the grace God's, in God's love. God chooses to give different giftings to different believers so that when we all come together, we can accomplish great and awesome things, right? So if we were all fantastic, world-beating painters, uh, what kind of paint are you using? Watercolor painters. We don't, the place would be full of watercolor paintings, and it would be great. But we, you, know, you understand, right? we need a whole lot of different giftings and abilities to come together for the place to function and accomplish great things. And that's what he's talking about. So he says, verse seven, but grace was given to each one. God in his love for you, he's chosen gifts and abilities for each one of us to have. Part of the joy and sometimes frustration, I'm we're just admitting that, but one of the joys of life is figuring out who God gifted and blessed you to be what talents he gave you to use to bless other people. Um, I think it's probably both ends. Sometimes people struggle to discover, what's my, what, do I have any gift? And sometimes they struggle with that. I think sometimes the more challenging struggle is on the other end. I know people that God has given lots of gifts to and abilities, and they're, they're juggling five or ten balls, and they don't know which one to grab onto and use sometimes. That can be frustrating. But God's given one in Corinthians, Paul says, every single believer has received a gift from God to use to bless other people, every single one. So verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gives it, he decides. Verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's kind of a hymn, it's, it's kind of scripture. It's uh, apparently it as part of their worship here in the New Testament times, really interesting. So Christ ascended on high after he'd accomplished wonderful things here on the planet, right? He ascended back up to the Father's right hand, led a host of captives. Doesn't mean that he, he uh, kidnapped us out of our homes. It means that we are captive to his love, right? We are captive to him. We've been adopt, adopted by him into his family. So he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What kind of gifts? There's spiritual gifts. Here's a different batch of gifts he's going to describe for us. Verse 9. First, he's going to uh, explain the ascended part. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions on the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So he just says, we're talking about Jesus here. He was glorious God at his right hand. He took on flesh and came down here to the lower parts of the earth to live with us, to accomplish the cross, to aclo- accomplish the resurrection and all those wonderful things. And then he ascended back up to the Father's right hand, where he is now, and he'll come back to, to get us at his second coming. So verse 10, he says, This is the Jesus we're talking about. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill how many things? All things, all things. Verse 11, Jesus gave. Here's the the grace gift that he's talking about in this situation. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Isn't that interesting? Jesus gives people to, to lead in different ministry tasks for the sake of the body of Christ. And their their gifts to the body of Christ. So apostles. I'll find my list again here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. That word we would probably, in our modern American vernacular, we would more often use the word missionary there. The word evangelist here means the one who takes the gospel to, um, you know, like on a trip, on a journey, takes the gospel to people. So we would probably... Uh, To our ears, missionary would sound a little bit more accurate, I think. Apostles, prophets, the missionaries, and the shepherds, that's literally where we get the word pastor from. So there are people here who aren't called, paid, professional pastors, but you have pastor callings and pastor giftings. Okay, You have shepherd callings, shepherd giftings. You care about... Um, shepherding kids, groups of kids, or shepherding people, or you like you like being involved in youth ministry because because groups come together and you like being a part of that. You have a shepherding calling, okay? You don't have to be a pastor with a collar or a fancy tie to be a called shepherd. Everybody say glory. Didn't know that. Maybe there's called. I know there's lots of called shepherds here. Maybe there's a new one this morning that goes, oh, that's me. It's it's. It's capturing your heart. Shepherd calling. Teacher is very closely related to the shepherd calling. The same word is, uh, is part of that root word. So shepherd, pastor, teacher, pastor, shepherd. Those are all kind of um, buddies together. Really neat. So the, the Lord gives people as gifts to the body of Christ. What's their job? Everybody say, what's their job? What's their job. Verse 12 is going to tell us. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry is it their job to be stars make lots of money have their names be recognized all around the world that's not their job that might happen but but that's if they're pursuing that then they're messed up and they're off track and they're not walking in a manner worthy of Christ okay so i get nervous when somebody, when somebody gets up on TV or gets up on a stage and says, last night the Lord told me I'm an apostle, I go, <laughs> that's not how that works. Last night the Lord told me I'm a prophet. Mm. See, that's something the body is supposed to discern and help that person work through and recognize. Uh, so when we start declaring and grabbing titles for ourselves, I'm going, let's be real careful here, friend, real careful. That's not humility and gentleness with patience and bearing with. That's choosing titles and taking charge and wanting to raise myself up above the rest. That's not the Christ spirit that we're looking for, amen? So he says, here's their job, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So only only trained professional pastors should do ministry, right? (laughs) Right? If that's the only people who do ministry, the whole church is going to blow up tomorrow. Folks, you're doing ministry all the time. And, And my job, my calling, is to help you, to call you into it, to help you, to train you, to teach you, to encourage you, to say, you can do this, I see this gifting in you, you can do this. Let me help you get going. That's our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Say that with me. Say that with me. For building up the body of Christ. This is the whole goal of of ministry, is to build up the body of Christ. Not to make my name great, but to build up the body of Christ. That you can function to reach the lost and to build up the saved. That's what the whole thing is about. Now, I know some different ministries have different, maybe uh, specific callings from the Lord and stuff. But I feel like some, sometimes we get off in the weeds. We get too focused on, uh, we're going to be all about healing. Well, God can call and, and, and ask us to pursue a, a particular thing. But we can, we can get way narrowed down to and forget our main everyday calling. It's right here. It's, it's all over in Scripture build up the body of christ verse 13 for what purpose what's our goal how long are we going to build up the body of christ to what to what we going to build the body of christ up into verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god This is the function and purpose of the body of Christ, to help each other grow in knowing Jesus. Again, not just knowing about Jesus, knowing him personally as Savior and Lord. That's always, always, always the vision, ministry, focus, mission of the congregation. Build up each other in the body of Christ to know Jesus. until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's why I entitled this sermon like Big Boy Pants. Big Girl Pants. This is our job. Grow each other up in Christ. To maturity. Because the times are going to get way easier and it's going to be a piece of cake to be a follower of Jesus, right? We need to grow up Because the times are going to get harder. And they might get way harder. And if I'm reading the scriptures properly, they're going to get way harder and we're going to live through a whole bunch of the the stuff in the end times, through most of the seven years. And it's going to be a rough ride. So you know what? We need to become overcomers. And we need need to prepare to become overcomers. Because what does God say? What does Jesus say like a hundred times in the book of Revelation? To the one who overcomes to the and I'll give all these wonderful things. Not to people who quit halfway through. So what do we need to be about as a body of Christ? Helping each other grow up. Everybody turn to the person next to you and say, Grow up. Now do it the Jesus way. Grow up in Christ. Okay, that feels better, doesn't it? But we might need to hear that. I might need to, somebody to come come and tell me. Say, Pastor Joe... Grow up. Here's an area in your life where you're being childish. You haven't grown up in Christ. You haven't learned this in Jesus yet. Grow up. Let me help you. Right? We need to do that for each other. <sighs> to mature man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're gonna keep growing up until we get so full we are like Christ Himself. Then 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 we'll know that we're getting there. Amen. Verse 14, with another purpose. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know the wording here, the vocabulary? It's like uh, the, the merry-go-round pole we used to have down here at the corner that the kids would play on after school when you had the two-room school down there. That's The, 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 the description here is la-la-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la-la-la, and they do it so many times, what happens? You get dizzy and start looking really stupid and falling down and incapable of accomplishing anything. Now think about this seriously. What does Paul say here? Grow up in Christ, mature in Christ, so that what does not happen, verse 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So culture comes along and says, you can choose whatever gender you want to be. What do, what do we do? We go, uh, no. God made us male and female for the purpose of marriage and lots of other good things, and no. But you know what? A whole lot of churches have jumped off this cliff. A whole lot of churches and pastors are going, well, what's the deal? What? You mean pastors have not matured in Christ? Yes. You mean congregations have not matured in Christ? Yes. Grow up in the Word of God and be prepared to stand on it like an adult. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Okay, verse 14 again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Some people are falling into these traps just because they're ignorant and they're silly and they don't have direction. Some people are doing it on purpose because they have crafty schemes behind it. There are books written by how to overthrow the United States through homosexuality, pushing that agenda through the gender thing. There are books written about how to do this and they're accomplishing it. They're following the game plan. There are people who are craftily, evilly scheming how to accomplish this. Okay, verse 15. Here's what we're going to do. On the, uh, the flip side of the coin, the, the Christian side, the following Jesus side, here's what we're going to do with it. Verse 15. Rather, say it with me now, speaking the truth in love. Can we be silent about the truth? When people are going like this and they're getting dizzy and falling down, can we be silent about that? We gotta speak the truth, but we gotta do it in what? In love. Okay? So we got stuff going on at the Golden Bubble. And it, it's a mess, right? And and we can yell about that and we can we can ooh, and we can try and, sh- and all those kinds of things. I get that. But the point is this when people come back and us say, back off, people should be able to do what they want to do. Let them let them have their free will, all kinds of stuff. And they say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he commands me, number one, to love him above all things and people and persons and gods. And number two, he says, love my neighbor as myself. So as I love my neighbor and I see an event like that come into the community, I say, God, that's gonna hurt a lot of people. That's gonna mess up marriages. That's gonna mess up singles who are, who are going off the wrong way. That's gonna lead people deeper into pornography. That's gonna be an event that makes it more likely that sex trafficking happens. So. I care about that event happening. I would like it not to happen because I love my neighbor. That's the truth that the neighborhood needs to hear. Not that we're like, I don't want people to have fun. You know, they need to hear us saying clearly, I care about you as my neighbor. I love you as my neighbor. And this is the kind of stuff this event leads to. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loves you with a passion. He wants you to come to this. Okay, so here's the deal. Verse 15, rather, not, not this, but this, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up. Say it with me. Here it is again. We are to what? Grow up in every way into him, into Christ who is the head, into Christ himself, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. You know what? We need each other. Each one of us is a different part of the body of Christ. Some of us are tendons and sinews and all kinds of... You hold us together. Even the skin kind of helps hold us together a little bit, right? But together, we, we hold... Christ helps us to stick together, to hold together as one body, healthy, strong, go in the same direction, united in Christ. Amen? So unity and agreement is huge. Every joint with which it is equipped... When each part is working properly, so if one part is not working properly, if one part is sick, and at home, we're like, oh, we miss you. We're praying for you. Can I bring food to you? Um, because, because when you're not with us, we don't function as, as, as well as we could, as strongly as we could. Uh, that, that, there's other reasons. Of course, we just love them for, for Christ's sake. But we want the body to be able to function all hands on deck, amen? Amen. All hands on deck. Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Oh, so here's the deal. When I personally grow up in Christ, and you grow up in Christ, and a whole bunch of us grow up in Christ, what happens to our body? Our body grows up. And our body becomes not just a great big child rolling around in its own stuff, Our body becomes a grown-up, mature, loving in Christ, speaking truth in Christ, dynamic organism that impacts the community. And we have been doing that, and we will continue to do that by the grace of God, and we will do more by the grace of God. Everybody say amen. amen. So this is the purpose. This is why... Uh, we gather together on Sunday mornings. This is why we gather on Wednesdays. This is why we do all kinds of ministries and stuff together that we can't do alone. I got to grow up, so I can bring growing maturity in Christ to this body, to you guys, and you you bring that to me, and together, what's happening? Our body is getting stronger, and less less of this and more of this straight ahead in unity speaking the truth in love and making a difference? That is going to continue because this is the heart of God. For us personally to grow up, for us as a congregation to keep on growing up, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And Jesus said, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, when you love each other like this, like Paul's talking about, he said, then the world will know that you're really my disciples. Okay, So when we speak the truth to like a golden bubble situation, but we do it in love, the world will will have a better chance of encountering Jesus. Uh, There's a million different ways that we love and speak the truth to each other, to the community. Yeah, that's how the world knows Jesus be real deal here. I'm not trying to take swipes at churches, but I'm saying when churches haven't grown up in the Word and haven't grown up in Christ, and they they go with whatever new idea comes from the world and they follow it off a cliff, people aren't seeing Jesus in that. Because they're not seeing foundations, they're not seeing truth, they're just seeing a social club that's going with whatever whims that the world is going to do today. And we can't go there. Because we've been commanded to grow up in Christ and stand on His word and speak the truth in love to a community that's desperate to hear truth and desperate to know true love. And you're only going to find that in one place, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one body. You're only going to find it in Christ Jesus. It's a privilege to be part of this body. It's been over 25 years now. Isn't that crazy? It's a privilege to be a part of this body. This body, from before I came, has been committed to this, to growing up, maturing in Christ personally, and to growing up together in Christ as a congregation. And uh, fruit keeps keeps being born because that's your commitment. Let's keep doing it. We've gotten a really good reminder and a refresher on why and how we're doing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul and for preserving this letter he wrote to the wonderful Christians in Ephesus. Boy, they were dealing with some just wild, crazy stuff in their town. And we are too. It's good to know that we're not alone in that. But God, uh, boy, this, this passage is so spot on for today. We don't want to be running around the maypole and falling down in dizziness and foolishness, Father. Uh, Help us, mighty God, to keep on growing up in Christ and your word, to growing each other up and together as a body growing stronger in Christ. God, help us to love our neighbors and to love uh, congregations and pastors around us uh, who are going around the maypole. God, give us opportunities to speak the truth in love uh, with them and to them. God, we pray for uh, correction, for repentance and change of direction for so much of the body of Christ in America. God, help us. Uh, we're going to stay humble right now. We're, we need that word. We're not going to get prideful. We're not going to pat ourselves in the back. Um, we're just going to say, you know what? Whatever's going right at Dell, it's because of Jesus. And he is gracious, and he is patient with us, and, and he, he bears up with all of our shenanigans and our failures. Um, it's because of Jesus. Thank you, God. God, here's the thing. We pray, according to Paul's letter here, inspired by your Holy Spirit, help us personally individually to keep on growing up in Christ. Help us as a congregation to keep on growing up in Christ together. Unity in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Protect that and keep that. And God, here's our ultimate prayer, because this is your heart, that this people, as a lighthouse, that the light of Jesus Christ would shine forth from us and from this place more and more brightly, more powerfully, reach farther, reach wider, reach deeper, and impact more and more people for your kingdom before that trumpet blows and there's, there's no more time to work. Thank you, Jesus. God, we bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.